0: So, good morning. My name is Katie, and I'm one of the pastors here with Amy. So I wasn't raised in a church that celebrated church seasons, and so one of the things I appreciated the most when I became an Anglican was the space that Advent and Lent offer for preparing for Christmas and Easter. I was particularly drawn to the bright sadness of Lent. And what I mean by that is this experience of joy mingled with grief that most of us experience over and over throughout Lent. Each week, the liturgy and the readings remind us of our failure to love God and others. But that conviction of our own sin and failings is always accompanied by this glorious word of assurance that pierces any despair that might shadow our hearts. It reminds us that God is overflowing with mercy and loving kindness, and rejoices every time we return to him. The Eastern Orthodox theologian Alexander Schmemann said it this way, Lent reminds us of the sadness of our exile from God, the waste we have made of our lives, and the brightness of God's presence and forgiveness, the joy of our recovered desire for God and the peace of our recovered home. We hope that as Christians we will grow and mature to become more and more like Christ, but the reality is that we all fail after our baptisms. But the church in its wisdom assumes that this is true, that our enthusiasm for the faith will dim over the years. And so every year we're invited to recapture our love for God and to cast off those things that have entangled us. And this journey will not be easy, as today's gospel reading cautions us. Any effort to seek God will meet opposition from inside and outside of us. As you make a little more space in your day to be attentive to God's voice, you will likely feel overwhelmed by the to-do list ahead of you. When you skip a meal or deny yourself in some small way, maybe you choose to skip that second cup of coffee or that meal that you really want, you will feel it in your body. And when you give to others, expect that you will find yourself worrying a little bit more about yourself and you will probably resent the people that you're serving and the people that you are serving with. They're just going to rub you the wrong way in this season. It's inevitable. When you're making a little bit more room for God, that's going to be stretching and painful. And this is all completely normal. (laughs) It's the normal result of trying to orient yourself towards God. The important thing in Lent is to just keep going. It's like anything new you're trying for the first time. Don't give up. Just pick yourself up when you fail and entrust yourself to the slow work of God who's working in your really small attempts to be closer to him. This Lent, we're using our Sunday readings as a window into how we can learn to recognize the voice of God and hopefully You'll use your Lenten practices to give yourself opportunities to grow in your ability to hear God's voice and to know God's voice when you hear it. Our readings from Genesis and Matthew at the very start of Lent remind us just how severe the opposition to hearing God's voice is. And specifically, they remind us that we will face opposition from demonic forces who hate us, and they hate God. These forces prey on our physical weaknesses, your thoughts and your desires, and they try to draw your attention away from God. At every opportunity, they will use your anxieties and your fears to sow distrust in God's character. They act, invite you to act impulsively in ways that will lead you away from God and church and will eventually, if you follow them all the way, to death. Sometimes these attacks come from outside of you. They're the noises that interrupt your prayer. It's the sound of your phone ringing, your kid crying, and Satan uses all of it. But let's be honest, most of these attacks come from inside of us. They're the thoughts and the words, the images that distract us throughout our days but particularly when we pray. Sometimes they enter through your senses, through what you see and you hear and you touch and you taste. Sometimes they come from your body, right? Your knees ache when you kneel to pray, or your stomach growls because of that lunch you didn't eat today. And sometimes they come from our inclinations and the longings in our hearts. And rather than cutting them off, We just cultivate and then we indulge them. We allow them to grow in us and to take our attention away from God. And before you know it, you find yourself grabbing that granola bar out of the pantry, even though you know that the growling stomach is really just an invitation to be close to God. Not that I would know that, right? It's this way that the voice of the evil one has of like, seeping into your mind and before you even know it, you're acting on that thing that you know you don't want to do. And in the case of our early father and mother, Adam and Eve, demonic attack comes in the form of a question that Satan uses to distract them and then to sever their intimacy with God. Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree of the garden? And instead of brushing aside this sneaky lie, Eve enters into a dialogue with Satan, and she's enticed into distrusting and then later disobeying God. And she goes one step further and invites Adam to make the same choice with her. Satan's strategy is the exact same with Jesus. He comes to him in a moment of physical weakness after 40 days of fasting in an unforgiving environment and he interrupts Jesus' prayer with a question. Honestly, I find this moment consoling because it normalizes something that all of us experience when we pray. And we can know that if Jesus experienced distraction in his prayer, then we will as well. So despite our best attempts to concentrate, our minds are going to be filled with raging streams of thought. Sometimes these insights and emotions, desires and memories, physical feelings, words and phrases, sometimes they come from God. But just as often they can be Satan's attempt to lead us away from communion with God. The challenge for each of us is to sift, is to sift through these thoughts and images and ideas and to discern which ones are from God and which ones are from the evil one. Satan breaks into Jesus' prayer and he says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. It's a double-pronged attack. He questions Jesus' identity, but he also knows he's hungry. And so we learn something here. And from Eve's conversation with a serpent about the nature of the voice of evil, it will try to sow doubt in your relationship with God. It'll question you about whether you really are a child of God. And it will invite you to care far more about your body than you care about the kingdom of heaven. And so what does Jesus do with this distracting invitation from Satan? He cuts it off immediately with a sentence from scripture that reminds all of us that we are not slaves to our body. You don't have to obey every impulse that arises from your body. And you're a beloved child of God, and that's how you know you don't have to obey your body, because God has created you and sustained you. But Satan doesn't give up, right? Before Jesus even has a chance to resume prayer, he plants another thought. And isn't this just what prayer is like for all of us? thoughts are constantly coming at us, cutting each other off like cars in traffic. Your evil ones are cut off by good ones. Your good ones are interrupted by evil ones. And so again, Satan tries to cut off Jesus's conversation with his father. This time he questions whether God protects his children, and he encourages Jesus to test whether God will really take care of him. And this is another common tactic from the evil one. He uses our concerns about our health or the injustice that we see in the world to sow this sense of hopelessness in us and despair. But again, Jesus cuts Satan off before he even has a chance, before the thought even has a chance to worm its way into his heart. He reminds us that we should not endanger ourselves just to prove that God loves us. Rather, we should be encouraged by the assurance that God always cares for us and he even uses his angels to guard and protect us. Demonic forces will try to use the thoughts, the ideas, and the images that arise in your minds to attack you, to encourage hopelessness and despair, to sow hatred of yourself and others. It's like water on a stone, right? It just runs off, giving no life. But God uses his words in scripture the words and actions of others and our own thoughts to encourage you, to fill you with his joy, his hope and his love. It's like water in a sponge. It just expands your capacity to love those around you and to love yourself. Our challenge will be to recognize the difference between these two voices and to nurture the good thoughts planted by God and to cut off the evil ones A favorite writer of mine on this topic, Nicole Raucus, she describes this process of cutting off the evil and allowing the good to blossom. She says it's like braiding a cord. Every thought gets covered up and turned as we wrap one thought over another one, and our minds then become this complex synthesis of these many strands of thought. What matters then, as we saw in Genesis and Jesus's temptation, is which thoughts you allow to come to the top of that cord. Which thoughts do you give priority to? If you let the damaging temptations of our hearts to hold sway, then you're going to grow sick in your soul. And you're eventually going to divorce yourself from communion with God and from others in the church. It's just inevitable. And the more you intentionally cut off destructive thoughts by turning towards God, the healthier you are going to be. And so I invite you this Lent to pay special attention to your thoughts. Perhaps begin small with your set times of prayer and concentrate on intentionally cutting off those thoughts that seem to be leading you away from God before they're able to take root. This is a discipline and it takes a lot of practice. I can say from experience that I have found that a verse from scripture or a quick one-sentence prayer can be the best way to do this. It kind of nips the thought in a bud before it even has a chance to kind of go any further, before you even have a chance to act on it. And then nurture the thoughts that seem to encourage an increase in loving compassion for yourself and for others and which are consistent with the character of God and his work in your life. This effort to tame your thoughts is one of the foundational disciplines of the Christian life. But you will struggle to master it your entire life. For as we continually grow into Jesus' likeness, Satan and his demons will continue their efforts to rob and steal and destroy us and God's church. And so there is a reason we continually play throughout Lent Lord, have mercy on us, and incline our hearts to keep your law." I'm going to close with a prayer from Henry Nowen, who's one of my very favorite writers. And I particularly love him because he's someone who is intimately acquainted with the struggle to discipline your thoughts. I find him such a comfort when I feel like my thoughts have gotten away from me, when I've acted in ways that have led me away from God and the church. I take such consolation in knowing that Christians I respect have struggled in the same way. And so I pray that this prayer would be consoling and I think encouraging to you as you begin your Lenten journey. Let us pray. This Lenten season begins It is a time to be with you, Lord, in a special way, a time to pray, and to fast, and so to follow you on your way to Jerusalem, and Golgotha, and to the final victory over death. But I am so divided. I want to follow you, but I also want to follow my own desires and to lend an ear to the voices that speak of prestige, and success, and pleasure, and power, and influence. Help me to become deaf to these voices, and to become ever more attentive to your voice, which calls me to choose the narrow road to life. I know that Lent is going to be very hard for me. The choice for your way has to be made at every moment of my life. I have to choose thoughts that are your thoughts, words that are your words, actions that are your actions. There are not any times or places without choices. And I know how deeply I resist choosing you. Please, Lord, be with me at every moment and in every place. Give me the strength and the courage to live this season faithfully so that when Easter comes, I may be able to taste with joy that new life that you have prepared for me and for all your church. Amen.